Perverted. Brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Yo peeps, welcome back to Afro Verdict, the podcast that explores the intersection of music, culture and social change. I'm your host Victor Anakin and today we're blessed to have Professor Msia Kibona Clark, a hip-hop scholar extraordinaire, join us for an awesome chat. Professor Clark's been in the hip-hop scene for decades, studying its impact on African societies and how to evolve from a niche culture to a powerful force for change. She's traveled all over the continent, digging into how hip-hop artists and communities use music to tackle issues like poverty, inequality, gender violence, and even corrupt politicians. So in this episode, we're going to dive into the vibrant world of African hip-hop, as well as US, UK, French hip-hop too, and see how regular people are using this powerful medium to really amplify their voice and shine a light on important issues. We'll explore the stereotypes about hip-hop and how it connects us with marginalized communities on a truly intimately deep level. Professor Clark will drop some knowledge bombs about how hip-hop artists have become social commentators, activists, and even change makers. We'll examine real-life examples of hip-hop that has been used to bring attention to government policies, fight for social justice, and empower communities to take action. So if you're listening from home, get comfy and let's embark on a journey through the transformative power of hip-hop in Africa. Professor Monsieur Clark, let's start with a short introduction for our listeners. Uh, maybe tell us a bit about your childhood and what influenced you to become the person that you are and uh, your interest in rap and hip hop. Well, uh, thank you for, for inviting me. Um, so I was born in Tanzania in East Africa, but grew up in the U.S. and, you know, was really part probably of that second generation of hip hop um people growing up with hip hop so i was born in the 70s so i you know came into an established hip hop culture but it was still very young so very much that influenced my growing up and then uh, as an undergrad went to tanzania to study for a year at the university in the 90s and hip hop had you know kind of taken control there it was right after Tupac died. And so that was like a big topic of conversation. And so I got involved in the hip hop community. I'm not an artist in any shape or form, I'm not an MC. I don't break dance. I don't do graffiti, but just, you know, have a passion for the culture. So became involved there, left and stayed mainly a fan of hip hop. Uh, and then hip hop studies really emerged in the late 90s but i began began becoming aware of it like in the 2000s it was still very us focused then uh around two, well 2005 2006 stuff started coming out from africa uh, written by scholars on the continent as well as you know scholars based in the west and so that piqued my interest and then friends who i had made in the 90s in tanzania um, wanted to have debates about some of the stuff they had read about hip hop in Tanzania. And, you know, their attitude was like, hey, look, you you have a PhD, you're an academic, write something. And I had been writing on some, you know, on immigration. Again, uh, the influence of my own immigration experiences influenced my writing. But then I made that pivot, especially when I saw hip hop studies was emerging i felt like okay yeah there is space to talk about this in academia and so then it was just you know a serious pivot even though 
immigration and identity are still important to my work, <clears throat> it's still it's really through the lens of hip hop culture that I that I deal with it. Okay, okay. No, this sounds pretty interesting. Just a random question: Do you think Tupac is really dead? I do. That was oh, the biggest man. question I got when I was there, and, and then it thought I thought, hmm, perhaps. But now, yeah, I mean, but there was a time period where I wondered if he was actually dead. Yeah, yeah. No, that's sad. I was um, I was hoping for a miracle right now, to be honest. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, I became exposed to hip hop. Well. Relatively recently, I guess. I grew up in South Africa in a really small town. And there, uh, it's basically, I'm a piano, some traditional Buddha music, and yeah, maybe some local hip-hop and rap. Uh, but mostly, yeah, mostly I'm a piano and that sort of thing. And then when I moved to Russia to study my bachelor's, uh, my roommate was a guy, he was born in Moscow to parents that were from Guinea-Bissau, And then, yeah, they moved back uh, and they moved at the year uh, when a uh, civil war took place. So they fled to Senegal and then from there to Spain and then to Portugal. And yeah, he was the one that exposed me to rap and hip hop and that whole culture thing. Yeah, and I, I quite liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, hip hop still, I, I just checked on my YouTube uh, recap for this year. Hip hop still tops number one. It was Kanye West. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I, I go to the Trinity International Hip Hop Festival in, in Hartford, Connecticut every year. And one year they had a big delegation from Russia and they showed this documentary um, on hip hop in Russia. And I, it was like it blew everybody's minds away because, I mean, the lyricists were so good. The culture was strong. And I'm sure it's not like, you know, all over and it's not. But it's the hip hop culture that we saw was really strong and really good. And I think a lot of people were surprised because that was my first time really being exposed to hip hop culture in Russia. So that was cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Honestly, I didn't expect Russia to have a hip hop culture at all because due to the Soviet legacy, it's more of these nostalgic sort of uh, vibes. But mm. yeah, no, the, the hip hop culture here is thriving, to be honest even as far-stretched as skateboarders. There's so many skateboarding parks in Moscow all over the place, and goodness, can they get annoying sometimes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but it's cool. No, it's cool. I enjoy seeing the kids uh, having fun and all that. Mm -hmm. Look, since 2009, more or less, right, your focus, or you said 2005, 2006, your focus has been on um, African hip-hop culture. Is that right? Or where, yes. Yeah. So what is hip-hop to you personally and uh, why do you think it is important well I, I, one of the things that I, you know it, it for me it tells a story i mean it's definitely i know with mainstream hip-hop and people writing lyrics for other people things have changed but at its core is autobiographical and you know i think it was most deaf that said if you want to find out what's happening in the hood listen to hip-hop and chuck d called rap the ghetto cnn and so it's There are these stories that are told. And so when you listen to hip hop from the 80s and they're talking about kind of what's going on there, you get a window into, you know, New York City in the 80s or NWA. For many people, we didn't know about what was going on in Compton until NWA. And then it's like, wait, what about the palm trees and the beaches and like what's happening? Um, but they showed us a window into what was happening in Compton. So it, it's for me, that has been 
really what I've always been drawn to and especially strong female voices. So MC Light, Queen Latifah, Yo-Yo, they were massively impactful. Um, I, you know, I always tell people I was a feminist before I knew that feminism was a thing. I just thought it was common sense. And then I realized that some women weren't feminists. And so it was very surprising to me. But the hip hop was it kind of fed my feminist soul, the hip hop from women. I, I want to be very clear because some of the hip hop did not. But um yeah, so that was that's to me why it's important for a lot of uh, young girls. Their first exposure to feminist ideas comes through hip hop. Uh, we find out, like I said, what's going on in, in specific places, but people also are able to use it for social commentary. They're able to use hip hop um, as a way to speak to their their peers about social issues that are of importance to their peers. All right. This notion that I've heard many times, especially from, well, my grandparents, for instance, uh, when they hear me listening to, to rap and uh, similar genres, they're like, oh, why are you listening to that music? It's, you know, it's, uh, it's strange. What are they even singing about? It's usually uh, sex, money and violence and drugs. Um, so that's what they're trying to, you know, propagate sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What is your take on that? Because I didn't really agree with them. I took the stance that it's not necessarily that they're promoting it. They're just, well, nowadays, perhaps, yeah. Uh, but back in the day, uh, it's just they were just talking about what was relevant to them and what they saw going on around them. What is your take on that? No, definitely. I mean, if, if you're talking about your condition and your condition is poverty, your condition is seeing violence, is gangs, is drug dealing, is people using drugs, living in, you know, housing that is subhuman and and, and conditions um, that are subhuman, you are going to rap about that. So it's not that you're glorifying it, but like I said, hip hop is autobiographical. So you can't rap about well, I mean, people do rap about having fancy cars and fancy houses in hip hop. That's that that whole segment. But uh, for for a lot of artists, they're talking about what they know and what they've experienced. And if people are offended by that, I think that's actually good, because if that if being offended means no one should live like this or we should change the situation or something must be done then it's that that's good. If the goal is to silence those individuals because it makes us uncomfortable, which often happens, um, I'm not, you know, immune from that. I know there are times when I get offended. I mean, you know, with the drill music more recently, it's been, I've grappled with that because having grown up during the gangster rap era, you when Tupac and, and NWA from NWA to Tupac and on, we defended hip hop and, we were attacked by many conservative black leaders. Uh, me, not not me personally, but the culture. People like C. Dolores Tucker, uh, Jesse Jackson, and so we rebelled and we were defending our culture and trying to explain ourselves. Now you have the drill music, and we're seeing the same narratives play out. So I'm trying to not revert to, you know, what the older generation thought of us and I'm trying to, I don't listen to drill because it's just aesthetically not, I don't like it, but, you know, I listen to my students who say that drill music is not at all what they say it is, that there's some that is, that is really glorifying violence and there are other, there's other drill music 
where they're simply talking about their experiences. So I'm trying, but drill is testing is testing me quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so that's that would be my response to that. Just for our listeners, can you name some popular drill artists out there? In fact, do you, um, are you specifically talking about uh, U.S. drill or U.K. France? Well, that's a, that's a good so all. So when you're looking at the U.S., like I know Chicago, uh, G Herbo, and some of them, I just know them because of my students. But then the New York and in Chicago drill scene kind of made its way to London to the U.K. And the UK drill scene made its way to Ghana. So you've got a huge drill scene in um, Kumasi, Ghana. They even There's a nickname for Kumasi called Kumerica because of all the influence of drill music. And so you have artists like Yaw Tog, who is... Um, from Kumasi, who, you know, for many, for many years was the face of drill music. So, yeah, so there, there are some Gia Herbo who recently got in, I know he's gotten some legal trouble, but that's been the other conversation. Drill artists have been, their music in the U.S. at least has been used in cases, criminal cases against them. They've been used to build criminal cases. And so you've got artists that one are dying, Uh, So you've got artists that are, you know, being killed, drill artists that are being killed, but also drill artists that are finding themselves under investigation because of their lyrics. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm I'm sure like everyone has heard about cases where, uh, like you said, some some rap out there has been shot. Actually, one something like that happened uh, end of last year. Right. I can't remember who exactly. Or was that an overdose? Oh, God. There's been a few. I don't know if you're talking about. Black and Bougie, what was that group? Um, the group, there was a trio and one of them was shot. Is that what you're talking about? I think so. I think so. Oh, who was it? I can't remember. I'm there, and there have been, and, and the sad thing about it is that we're thinking because there have been several. <laughs> and so I'm like, which one? Because um, sometimes someone will be shot. And I'm like, well, who is that? But the the, you know, my students will be all distraught. I'm like, I don't even know who that is. But I do remember the one who was shot in Atlanta. He was a member of that trio that did the uh, um, Future and, uh, oh, man, I'm very bad. I, I, I know the group name, but I just can't, it's not popping in my head. So I know he was killed in like a bowling alley or something. And that was in Atlanta. Of course, Pop Smoke died years earlier in L.A., I know there was someone who died in Miami, in Brooklyn. I remember there was an artist who died. Was it Trouble? Yeah. There have been too many. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's been a lot, man. And it's, it's really, really sad, to be honest. Look, uh, well, since you, you've mentioned Ghana, how U.S. drill went from, well, the U.S. to the U.K. to Ghana, tell us a little bit about African hip-hop, how it's different from, you know, from the hip-hop, the stereotypical hip-hop that everyone knows. So that's a, a great question. So it you definitely have artists across the continent who want to imitate what they see in mainstream U.S. hip hop. So there's a lot of that. Uh, you have a lot of, you know, artists, especially in Ghana and Nigeria, that are blending Afrobeats and, and hip hop. So like some of the artists like Burner Boy, uh, Wizkid, they used to be rappers and now they've gone all the way into Afrobeats where some artists like Olamide kind of ride that line between hip hop and, and 
and Afrobeats. And then you've got the like hip hop heads. So Senegal is a country that has a really strong hip hop culture, but Senegal also being predominantly Muslim, there isn't a lot of content about sex and alcohol and drugs. So it is more political, more socially conscious. There's more elements of, you know, religion. So it's not unusual for an artist to, you know, make a mention, a reference to, to God. Um, so you've got that. South Africa's industry mimics a lot more the U.S. industry. So you've got, but then you also have Johannesburg, the commercial capital, and then Cape Town, which is very much, um, there's a very, well, that's really where hip hop in South Africa emerged. So there's a large community that is invested in maintaining those elements and, and kind of knowledge of those elements among the youth. So you've got, you know, it looks different in different places. But I would say typically there is less glorification of violence um, in terms of women, sexuality. I mean, there are African women who kind of push the line. Again, it depends on where you are. South Africa has queer artists. You don't really have artists that are out and queer in other parts of Africa. Very, very few. So you've got that element. Um but yeah, languages, they're using multiple languages on the continent, something that you don't really see here unless you're talking about Latino rappers. Um, so yeah, there are differences. I, I would even say for the most part, if you're looking in, in general, you probably will find more political content. You'll find more artists that are also, also engaged politically, like in Senegal, the artists involved in the elections and in registering people to vote. In Tanzania, we've got two members of parliament that are rappers. Um, so it's interesting seeing how politically they're um, very engaged in certain countries. That's interesting because, you know, shooting off from what you said about rap being an autobiography, yes, even in this case, still, the the rap the artists they rap about that which is most relevant to them so i guess there where where they find an opportunity they try to perhaps highlight some social issues because that stands higher on their priority list than for example in the us you know where you've got more or less a stable political society yeah yeah, you've uh, written many articles and books, including "Hip Hop in Africa: Prophets of the City and Dusty Foot Philosophers." Can you explain what is this text about? So it's a uh, book that actually was several years in the making. I wanted to write something. I had been traveling before I started writing academically. I wrote for AllAfrica.com, and I was doing like kind of journalistic pieces. And so, but it had me interviewing different artists from different parts of Africa. And then I was also doing a lot of traveling. And so, you know, deciding to write a book, it initially was a book that really had a lot of my images in there and just kind of conversations. And as I realized it needed to be more academic, um, it, you know, kind of took that turn. But the idea was to look at really hip hop is social commentary across the continent. And I mainly did case studies in Tanzania and Ghana and Senegal and in South Africa um, with some discussion of things happening in Uganda because I was able to travel there. And so that was the idea to kind of look at, because thus far, uh, pretty much all of the solo authored books had only focused on one country and I didn't want to focus on one country. And so, yeah, I, I 
did a lot of traveling and, and hung out with a lot of hip hop artists, which was, you know, great documenting what, what I saw and then documenting the, the music, listening to the songs. And so that was, you know, so that book deals with kind of hip hop's African origin. So, you know, really kind of arguing this, participating in that debate that says that hip hop is not African. So it was really important to show really through the work of a lot of like ethnomusicologists and so forth, that there is this connection between there's this direct route from, you know, Africa to North America to the Caribbean and then from the Caribbean to North America where you've got hip hop. And so there are these clear lines and influences. So I wanted to do that. I also wanted to look at how artists in the U.S., are engaging with artists in Africa and vice versa and looking at the cycle of Black music that has occurred. So if you're going to say hip-hop is not African, then you have to say Fela and Afrobeat is not African because Fela going to L.A. really embraced funk music, took funk music, added it to African pop music and made Afrobeat. But we would know when we really argued that Fela was not an African artist or his music wasn't authentically African. So that was also a, a, um, something I really wanted to do. Again, a lot of the stuff that had been written previously focused on Africa, hip hop in Africa, looking at what was happening in Africa in a specific country usually, but they all, almost always disconnected it from broader hip hop communities. It's almost like, oh, look at this interesting thing that's happening in, in Senegal or in Tanzania. These youth are rapping. That's really interesting. And here's what they're talking about. But they're not dealing with the fact that these artists are plugged into a broader hip hop community. And they're very much aware. They know who DJ Cool Herc is. They know Africa Bambada. They know the history. And so I also wanted to make sure we understood that this is there's a connection there. Uh, and then, of course, wanted to talk specifically about what was happening. This, you know, was written right after Yanomar happened, right after the Arab Spring happened, Balai Sitoyen and, and Burkina Faso. So that also played a role. There was an artist in Angola, I believe, who was who had been arrested and was in jail. Um, so there are all of these things that were happening. And then, of course, the women during around nine, uh, two, not, not 19, 2013, 2014, we started hearing a lot more women coming out of South Africa. And I realized there's something interesting happening there. I was at that time in Tanzania. So I was listening to what was happening in Tanzania, but then I'm hearing all of these really um, strong women's voices coming out of South Africa. So I wanted to do something that looked a chapter that looked at that. And then of course the language, because again, artists are rapping in different languages. And so I wanted to kind of take a look at the language debate. So the, the, Ideas to look at hip hop across the continent, focusing on specific countries, but looking at these topics, social commentary, gender, language, um, you know, all of that kind of through the chapters, looking at these different topics. Wow. Are you working on any new publications that are to come out soon? I am. Yeah. It feels like I'm, I'm kind of um, constantly in a state of, of writing. So there's... Um, there are a couple of things that are I'm I'm working on. A couple of things that actually recently came out that have focused on hip hop studies as a field, as an academic field. At my university, we are in the process of establishing a hip hop studies minor, 
And given Howard University's kind of legacy in hip hop, it's way overdue. We should have had a hip hop studies minor years ago, but we're working on that. So that's something I've been working on. Uh, And I'm also, you know, planning to funding, you know, if, if the funding comes through, uh, go back to South Africa and spend more time there. It's every time I've gone to South Africa, I've come away with more questions about race, ethnicity, hip hop, and looking at the relationship between Black South Africans, colored South Africans, but also African Americans, and looking at the parallels between colored South African and African American experiences. And there's all, I, when I look closer, there were a lot of parallels there. And some of that, I think, is attached to why or is the reason why colored South Africans were the first to embrace hip hop. So I really, you know, I'm wanting to go there and do some more writing on that. Um, And I also want to at some point want to get to the UK. I was just there for about a week just trying to kind of make contacts. And so I'm I'm really planning to go back there as well to do some uh, research on kind of really women can women in hip hop in uh, the UK because yeah I mean little Sims and Annie and sh- like there's just a lot happening right now in the UK no so- sounds interesting sounds like you've got some uh, yeah pretty hefty stuff uh, going on when can we expect your next publication to come out because I mean I would personally love to read that good question so I'm hoping that if I'm if I'm able to spend the summer in South Africa, that sometime, you know, really late 24, early 25. Um, but I do have, there's something coming out with uh, Oxford. There's a, um, we were asked to do really kind of a survey almost of uh, literature on hip hop in Africa. So that's, that's coming out. And I was also asked to do a textbook um, on hip hop. So that's, coming out as well not a textbook but a section in a textbook uh, that's geared towards junior high and high school students so that one is coming out so yeah there's stuff and I, i i feel like there's also the journal of african cultural studies we're doing a special issue on language and hip-hop so that's probably going to be the the next thing that really comes out because we're finishing that up and so we're really looking at the conversation around language and how the conversation is different in different African countries. So that should be out probably by the end of the year. Well, no, this is January. So probably by mid, yeah, like by the summer, that one should be out, that issue. All right. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm sure some of our listeners would also enjoy taking a look at, at those articles and books. Now, as you mentioned, the different, right, the difference in conversation in different African countries, what are the social issues or issues in general that uh, African artists are addressing through their art, hip-hop specifically? Well, you know, in South Africa, I think xenophobia has come up quite a bit because of things that are happening there. Uh, the, you know, issues around gender are definitely um, talked about quite a bit out of South Africa. You also have, you know, really the ANC's relationship to the people is, you know, I know in the wake of Feeds Must Fall, there were artists that rapped about that. You have, you know, some artists in West Africa talking about female genital cutting, not as many that should, but you've had a couple that have no, notably have. In Senegal, you know, artists continue to uh, really hold governments accountable for what they're doing. And artists have, you know, often released music critical of what's happening in the government. 
Um, you know, you've got artists that are in, oh gosh, different. Sometimes, you know, it's, it, if an artist like in Somalia, you may have, of course, K-9 is famous for talking about the conflict in Somalia. So you you often have artists that are in countries that are involved in conflict talking more about the conflict there. Um, uh, Nigeria, there have been a few artists talking about, you know, what's going on in northern Nigeria. So you've got a lot depends on what's happening in that country. And that often will influence in Angola, like I mentioned before, the artists there, um, there was, you know, went to jail. His music has been critical of how repressive the government is in Angola. So those are, you know, very much, you know, top of, I would say corruption, as well as migration. A lot of artists have talked about migration, especially migration across the Sahara and migration in the boats that are, you know, trying to get to Europe. So artists have talked a lot about that as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, like you said, I guess uh, it really, really depends on the on the region and the country and what's going on there. Yeah. Do you think to what extent can music be used as a, I know this sounds doesn't make sense, but a peaceful weapon to fight against social injustice? And yeah, sort of what what impact can it have on uh, on social issues? in all countries, generally speaking? Yeah, I mean, I think it can. I mean, it's it's one of the things that hip hop does is it articulates what some of the social issues are. And so one can't say, well, I didn't know that this was an issue because oftentimes hip hop is dealing with police brutality. They're dealing with corruption, healthcare issues, migration. And so through the music, the artists are articulating some of the social issues. They often, like in Senegal, will transition from talking about it to really calling for direct action. So in Senegal, the artists transition from just kind of talking about corruption to get out and vote, um, you know, vote the president out of office. This was Abdullah Wad when he was trying to run for a third term and he had changed the constitution to do so. You know, artists managed to get out and, and register um, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of youth to vote. So you've got that where the artists are using their music to amplify kind of a directive to the people. So, you know, and there's always been this idea that, yes, a song is not going to create a revolution or spark a revolution, but a song will definitely influence those who decide to go into, you know, engage in some kind of social political change. I mean, hip hop has been for like, for example, in the US for Black Lives Matter has been in many ways a soundtrack to the movement. Um, Anti-war movements, you've had songs that have dealt with that. So there's, when you have social movements, political movements, you often have a soundtrack that accompanies that movement. And that soundtrack often influences the key figures who were involved in that uh, in that movement. All right, all right. So people for their own personal use can use hip-hop as a mark of what's uh well first of all what's trendy and uh, second what yeah to to hold basically governments accountable and then the government i guess themselves can also use hip-hop to understand perhaps certain certain issues that they're missing out on and uh well i mean because you can't really know everything that's going on but yeah i think uh, hip-hop would be a good rap in general would be a good way of understanding yeah what's happening in the depths <laughs> yeah governments tend to not be a fan <laughs> Of, of hip hop because they're often the target um, of a lot of upset artists. 
Yeah, of course, of course. I can't think of a better example than Dave uh, from the UK. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm-mm. Not oh, you should definitely try it out. But it's, it's it's quite sad. Some of his songs are really heartbreaking. Oh wow! Yeah, he was born in the UK, but his mom they moved from Nigeria, and it's yeah, it's sometimes it gets political, but it's it's he's very 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 deep. Yeah, one of my favorite artists. Dave, that's the name. Yeah, Dave? just Dave. Okay. okay. <laughs> Simple. Yeah, let's talk quickly about the relationship between Pan Africanism and hip hop. Yeah, you know, uh, hip hop artists in Africa. You know, we're very aware that their interest in hip hop was more than just, oh, this is interesting. This is nice. This sounds great. Uh, It was also kind of seeing individuals who one look like them, but were also articulating similar experiences of urban life. So hip hop you know, we know in Africa really, you know, took root in the urban areas. So many urban youth identified with what was happening on, was happening with black youth in urban America. And so you had that. Um, But like I said, you also had that history of kind of back and forth between the diaspora and between Africa. And so a lot of youth identified with what black youth in the U.S. were going through in ways that, I didn't see as much in other countries. So like the use of the N-word, a lot of African artists took ownership of it and, you know, and saw themselves as kind of part of this global black community and using the N-word for many of them. They knew the history behind it. Some didn't, but a lot did and understood that that identification was identifying them and connecting them to black people in America. Um, So that's always been there. And then you've also had, artists in the U.S. who've been very conscious of the fact that African-Americans, you know, their origins lead straight to Africa, especially West Africa. So you've had artists that have kind of gone over to do collaborations and have talked a lot about Africa. Even as far back, you know, as the 80s, you had songs, you know, they were in the U.S. They were talking about Africa, African artists who heard that and, you know, again, solidifying that connection. You're seeing it more in terms with commercial artists now. Before, I think it was mostly just artists that were socially conscious. Now you're seeing it artists like Snoop and, and um, oh gosh, uh, I can't, D- different, you, I'm, my brain is freezing in terms of names, but you're seeing a lot more commercial artists. Artists that weren't known for being socially conscious are also doing collaborations with African artists. But I think that is more about, they're waking up to realize that the hip hop industry it can be profitable um, out of out of Africa. So that's what's driving that. But also the fact that um, Fela is one of the most sampled um, artists in hip hop, one of the most sampled non-US artists in hip hop. So a lot of people from Missy Elliott to Jay-Z have um, sampled Fela's music. All right. And to give an example, they, I think it already finished, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was end of last year. This huge music festival in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it spanned across a few countries and there you, but I think that maybe I'm getting mixed with other concerts, but I know there was one in South Africa and there you had like the major sort of uh, African hip hop artists, like you said, uh, Omar Lide, Burner Boy, Wizkid, all of those, and then South African rap artists and a lot of um, US rap 
rappers as well, like Kendrick Lamar and all those. Yeah, they were present there. So I, yeah, I hoped, I, I really hoped I could make it there, but unfortunately I didn't. Uh, but I think that would have been a really interesting event to see how they sort of mixed and mingled and all of that. Monsieur, I noticed that a lot of your work focuses on women, right? Even now you've listed uh, multiple femcs and female hip-hop artists and so on and so forth. What do you think is the place of women in hip-hop? When it comes to women in hip-hop in Africa, we've really seen them playing an increasingly active and more visible role than they did, say, in the 1990s. Well, when you look at South Africa, even though that country was one of the first to really embrace hip-hop culture in the late 70s, early 80s, it wouldn't be until early 2000s when women would actually kind of start coming into the into the industry. And, you know, you really started seeing their voices kind of picking up around 20, between 2010, 2013. You see similar things in other countries. Senegal has a relatively, um, relatively few women in hip hop. But of course, the last 10 years, we've seen more in Ghana, in uh, Nigeria, in Kenya, you know, we've seen more women. I think just like women in other parts of the world, there's been kind of a pushback against patriarchy within hip hop culture. So, you know, women are no longer really referring to themselves as femcs as much. They want to be recognized as MCs. There are MCs who also happen to be women, but the idea that a femc means that they're a different type of MC that can't compete with men. Um, also kind of the the label, the first lady of this or the queen of that, uh, the idea that, you know, in an all-male crew, you have one woman. And that one woman is is seen as the only one that can, you know, compare to these other male rappers in terms of skills. So more women are kind of um, rejecting those labels and wanting to stand on their own and not necessarily needing the endorsement of their male colleagues. So I think we're seeing that. We're also seeing, you know, more diverse representations of sexuality in the 90s, just like in other parts of the world. A lot of women were wearing more baggy clothes as if that was a hip hop uniform, where now you see more diversity. South Africa, the women there are probably the most diverse in terms of style, aesthetics, um, the language that they use to rap in. So we're seeing more diverse representations of women. They're, you know, continuously still addressing things like patriarchy. I think they're doing it more explicitly, whereas before maybe it was in the subtext. I think they're more directly confronting patriarchy, sexism, um, female genital cutting, uh, queer phobia, all of these things are being more directly addressed. You also are seeing a lot of women who feel that they're African women, so they don't necessarily need to constantly constantly articulate the fact that they're African women. So people like Yugen Blackrock, who, you know, is a very kind of alternative uh, artist that talks about a lot of like metaphysical thoughts and ideas and, and things like that. So you've got, you know, her as well as a South African artist like Nadia Nakai, who's way more, you know, definitely centers her sexuality more. Um, you also have people like Kanye Mavi, who raps in Losa, uh, is very kind of aware of representing that community. So you've got more diverse voices 
out there and as well as women kind of speaking up and directly confronting things that they may not have confronted in such a direct way in the past. All right, ladies and gents, that's a wrap on our episode about hip-hop in Africa and beyond. Professor Clark illustrated the transformation of hip-hop from its subterranean roots into a dynamic agent of transformation across the continent. She explained how hip-hop intertwines with disenfranchised groups, rendering it an influential medium for the populace to voice concerns and tackle pressing matters. We also heard the way in which hip-hop can be utilized to confront authoritarian regimes, advocate for social equity, and bolster communities to be proactive. Evidently, hip-hop transcends mere musical genre as it represents an indispensable voice in the social discourse. If you want to rewind or listen to previous Afroverdict episodes, you're welcome to do so on popular podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Podcast Addicts, Afropods, CastBox, as well as Podcast Addict. For updates regarding Africa and important global events, check out our Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account, and other socials. There's that for today, everyone. This is your host, Vic Anakin, signing off. Peace, love, and hip-hop. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.